This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 27th of January. And the quest for a vaccine for coronavirus has been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, Norman, hasn't it? Like we've been, we knew that it, it was needed, the pace of science was massive, things have been approved. And then now we're looking at the, especially the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, which was the first cab off the rank. And a lot of people around the world, like millions of people around the world, are relying on it. There's delays. And so maybe today we could just take a bit of a step back and look at what it actually takes or what it has taken specifically to get the Pfizer vaccine up in the first place and just give people a bit of a sense of what the challenge is to get that out all around the world. It's obviously an enormous task. Pfizer has committed to 1.3 billion doses in 2021. In fact, they've just upped that to 2 billion. And that's what they claim is the um, is the holdup in terms of their vaccine supplies. They've had to retool a factory to be able to increase their dose production over the course of 2021 to 2 billion doses. The mRNA vaccine is supposedly an easier vaccine to manufacture. It requires different technology from the one we've got here in Australia, but they claim it's easier than some of the other more traditional vaccines. We do know that uh, the Novavax vaccine, which is another one of the vaccines that we've committed to here in Australia, has had problems with manufacture for the clinical trial. They've got a novel technology that links the protein, the the spike protein, to what's called an adjuvant to stimulate the immune system. So they've had some problems with that. And others have had problems as well. So it's right across the board in terms of manufacturing problems to this kind of scale. So in theory, easier to produce an mRNA vaccine, but there are issues, no question about that. But Pfizer, and I did an interview with the MD of Pfizer Australia for tonight's 7.30, was saying that really their main issue was tooling up from a 1.3 billion dose target to a 2 billion dose target. Even that first target there is pretty massive when you consider that this has never had to be manufactured at scale ever. mRNA vaccines, it's the first one to be approved for use in humans, isn't it? Yes, it is. And the, these are the first mRNA vaccines in human history. So they, um, you know, this is just a, a technology that's only just been proven in the last 12 months. And the Pfizer vaccine's gone from virtually a standing start about a year ago to where we are now. So you've had the opportunity to talk to this woman from Pfizer who's obviously got her finger on the pulse there. What else did you manage to talk to her about, Norman? I asked about whether or not 10 million doses was it and how we came to 10 million doses. And Anne Harris, the CEO, made clear that they had notional allocations around the world in terms of their commitments to doses. And it sounds as if, from what she was saying, that 10 million was about it for Australia, although there was flexibility to increase that as they increased from 1.3 billion to 2 billion doses this year. The other question I pushed uh, and Harris on was, well, what's the schedule of delivery of the 10 million doses? Because in fact, what they've committed to is 10 million doses over the course of 2021. And she was really not willing to do that. What she has committed to is there will be 80,000 doses to get going at the end of February. But just how that will roll out week by week and month by month will be variable and she's not prepared to commit it. Now, reading between the lines, I suspect there's going to be an overlap in Australia between the Pfizer vaccine and the delivery and the Astra vaccine. And the other thing that we've had questions about is the idea that there's been people with allergic reactions, there's been um, those elderly deaths in 
was it Norway, where we weren't sure whether it was the fact that they were elderly or the fact that they'd had the vaccine. Did you get to talk to her about safety? Yes, they said that they're monitoring safety. They're um, continuing to gather data. They're getting a lot of data from Israel. One of the reasons why Pfizer's given so many doses to Israel is that they've got unique access to the Israeli data and they can see what's happening with people who've been immunised versus not and side effects and so on. It's probably some of the best data that they're getting. So she had nothing to add to the uh, side effect profile but said that they were watching it. They say they're committed to following the people who've been in their clinical trial for up to two years to see whether anything emerges later. And the last question on Pfizer, Norman, do we know anything more about whether or not this vaccine prevents transmission or just infection in an individual? They were coy on that. And one of the reasons they're coy on that is that um, you're not really going to see evidence of a reduction in transmission until the lower priority groups are immunised because they're the ones who spread the disease. So it's the younger and the healthier people who spread COVID-19 rather than the elderly who tend to keep to themselves and socially distance. So until you actually get large numbers of under 60-year-olds being immunised, you're probably not going to see that. What they're seeing in Israel is a little bit of evidence of reduced transmission and certainly evidence of reduced hospitalisation. So that's the Pfizer vaccine, but the vaccine that most Australians are going to get is the one from Oxford AstraZeneca. And there are news reports around um, out of some German newspapers over the past few days that that vaccine is less than 10% effective in people who are over 65 years old. And Many of our listeners are worried about that, including Marilyn, who is at or near the young age of 65. Does that mean a huge cohort of Australians are not going to be well covered because the Australian government has backed the wrong horse? The Astra trial was a messy trial because, and I think we said this on yesterday's CoronaCast, because they they had a trial in Britain, they had a trial, I think, in South Africa and Brazil, and they they, they kind of changed the rules as they went on with in cooperation with the regulator. And so, for example, the British trial was 55 and under. And even the other trials, they had a bias towards 55 and under recruitment. But then they did recruit over 60s. But they did that a little bit later. So when they published their paper in The Lancet in December, they were underpowered on elderly people to know exactly what the protective effect was when you separated them out from the rest of the group. What earlier studies showed was that the AstraZeneca vaccine, when you look at the antibody response, seems to produce a very similar antibody response in older people than as compared to younger people. So that is good news. What they didn't report in that study was really what the effectiveness was in that older group of people where they were a bit underpowered and a bit late to the party. By now, which is now you know fully two months later, a bit more than that given the lag to get something published, they should have more data to be able to give regulators on people who are older and the effectiveness of the vaccine in that group. So there's nowhere that I can see in that Lancet paper which says they're only 8% effective in people over 65. They just weren't committing as to what exactly the effectiveness was in that group. So it would be very interesting to see what the TGA approves because they will only approve if there's good data that it's going to work in that group of people, I assume. AstraZeneca has actually released a statement calling those German media reports completely incorrect and saying that they've seen strong immune response to the vaccine in the blood analysis of elderly trial participants. 
which is exactly what I just said, which is that in the earlier phase one, phase two studies, they got a good antibody response in those elderly people. With What's not clear from the publication in December is what the actual efficacy rate is in that group of people uh, in terms of preventing disease. It's probably going to be quite good because there were no deaths or severe disease in the Astra group. Um, it's just that the numbers were a bit small with the elderly. So it, it, they're suffering from a trial which had a shifting, was shifted in terms of how it was done. So Alison's asking, if the AstraZeneca vaccine trials were so muddled, why don't they just run a new trial so that we can better understand the efficacy rate? Good question, but that would delay it by another three, four, five months. And you've now got vaccines being run out internationally, and they may find themselves running up against the reality that there's not enough people to recruit around the world to be able to study as quickly as they did before. So I think what we're going to have to rely on is do they get neutralizing antibodies? The answer is yes. There should be enough people in their elderly group now that they've accumulated over the end of 2020 that they are much better equipped to give you the efficacy rate in the over 65s and um, maybe better data on the people who were immunized late. That's you know, up to three months. And in fact, when I reread that paper, it's it a fair, fair number of the people on those trials were re-immunized two or three months later but they were reporting very similar efficacy rates uh, with that delay, which makes it hard to explain where the rumours are coming from for 90% efficacy in that group, which emerged from India and even were alluded to by Astra themselves. So they've obviously got some other data that they haven't published. So Tegan, have, you, have we had any more ahas in, in terms of the aha moments from last year? Yeah, the moment where people really realised that the rubber was about to hit the road and we were truly in a pandemic. Yeah, heaps, actually. Thank you all so much for sending them in. Sharon says she works in residential care and her aha moment was when she went to place her standard monthly order for PPE at the beginning of March and there was no stock available and the prices for gowns and sanitizer had gone absolutely through the roof. Another from Naomi, her daughter's a GP and she called up in the middle of March last year and said, Mum... You're not to come to us for a while. Never happened before. She'd been going there regularly since the birth of her first grandchild. And that was a real wake up call for her. And lots more, including not being able to go to the gym, not being able to go on holiday and seeing family. So lots of impact on people over the last 12 months. Really hard. Thanks again to all of you who shared your moments with us. Feel free to send some more in or any questions as well. You know the place, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click ask your questions and then mention coronacast on your way through so that we can find it. And we'll see you tomorrow with a special guest. Yes, we will. See you then.